0: Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians. We'll look at Colossians 1, 11 through 20 together. <clears throat> As we look at this evening, um, I don't, she didn't lay out her book, so we might use the back of a bulletin or something like, if we have any. Thank you. Colossians 1, verses 11 through 20. We, uh, of course, in the Bible, many times it'll have a topic uh, aligned for. Of course, that wasn't originally, you know, in the text, so someone has uh, assigned that uh, topic to the category. And in, in the Bible that I have, it says the supremacy of Christ. Uh, tonight's title, though, is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Colossians 1, 11 through 20, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, Father, we take this scripture tonight, and it is like many that we read. There's so much that is in this verse. We could take it apart for quite some time, but help us to see that Jesus is Lord and the ways in which he is Lord and how that affects us. We pray in your holy name. Amen. You come to this passage of scripture, and the apostle has been... has been. Uh, speaking of uh, ceaseless prayer. And the ceaseless prayer is on behalf of the Colossians. I am praying for you continuously is the idea. So I don't neglect to, to, to pray for you. I need to pray for you. You have so much that needs to be dealt with. <clears throat> and one of the first things that he says is that they might be uh, filled with the knowledge of his will. And then he goes on to say the increasing knowledge of his will. Not just his will, but more and more and more. Uh, So it's not a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing and that we can discover more and more about God. Uh, It's not I discover a few things and then I'm done. But it increases. And you can see that in Colossians 1, 9 and 10. The, The matter of the fact is that all wisdom and spiritual understanding, you look at verse 9, it says that. All wisdom and spiritual understanding and living worthy lives and pleasing God and bearing fruit, all of that, verse 10, is already available to us in Christ. It is the possession of all believers, not just a few. Um, And that is the issue. They lived in a world in which it was possible to have special understanding within certain religions. Uh, You could be a a member of uh, a tenant of a a group of believers of a god, small g, and you had to be inducted into the special knowledge of the believer. Uh, So you might, you know, go to a church somewhere or worship in a temple somewhere, uh, but... There was always special knowledge that just the elite were privy to, and if you were lucky, you might be chosen to find out what they knew. And so you come to the Colossians, and that was the background in which they lived. Um, They, when they became Christians, were waiting for the other shoe to fall, so to speak. What is it we need to learn now? And this is where Paul addresses them and said, You have everything in Christ now. It, there's not something coming. Uh, we'll talk about this Sunday a little bit when you talk about uh, the Spirit. On Sunday morning when, when we come back and, and begin to to deal, or Sunday evening when we talk about Mark, rather, uh, when we talk about the uh, idea in, in our society that there's a, quote, second blessing, that there's something else that you don't have. Um, but the New Testament doesn't teach that it teaches that we dwell in the fullness of Christ that we have everything that we need right now it's just a matter of us realizing that we can access it that it's there already there's not i'm not waiting to for God to give me something else down the road uh, i have it in him i have access to him it's just how Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to launch out and do that? So Paul continues describing, I think, the, the context of his prayer as he talks to them. So what is, what is the, the context of what he's talking about? And he mentions the subject of their being with all power. Uh, the idea that that they have access to the power of God, and He describes—we've read through that. We'll look at it again. How God created everything and made everything, and how it's uh, sustained by Him, and He did it all, and and that's power. You know, I look at the universe. Uh, I look out and see that everything that is created was created by Him, held together by Him. That's power. And they have access to that all power, and that we are strengthened. Through that power in Christ. So when we talk about nothing is impossible with God, it's a reality and not a, uh, if I wait long enough, it might happen. It has happened. He has all power. And so it is according to his might and his glory. You look in the Old Testament and it'll, it'll give an illustration of my my strong right hand, or my mighty right hand, or in my right hand is whatever. And that was the hand that that represented strength in the Old Testament. Uh, for you left-handed people, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I've got two left-handed sons-in-law, so I know how that. Is. It's interesting always at Christmas and Thanksgiving to figure out where everybody has to sit because the left-handers. But in the Old Testament, that right hand is the issue of power. That's where power rests. And so he gives the picture of that might and his glory. And then it's something which we already have. We just need to learn how to tap into it. Uh, You can think of it like electricity that comes into your house. The power is there. But how do I tap into it? Uh, How do I access it? Uh, I plug into it in the right place and I get it. Um, But if I go to the switch panel, wherever that is in your house, I go to where the switches are, I can see the power comes in there, but I can't access it. I have to find the place where I can plug in. And I think that's what he's trying to tell them, that they need to learn how to tap into it. We have power for everything. We have power for patience. Can I get an amen? I need some patience. (laughs) Uh, we have power to be patient. It, in, in a world that is not patient, God gives us patience. He gives us power to persevere in the midst of difficulty. That when it seems like we can't hang on or it's too tough or it's too difficult, God gives us power of patience and he gives us power to persevere. And the ability to, as he says to them, verse 11... Uh, Read with me again, if you will. Being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. Joy. In the midst of a difficult world, I can have joy. I can be joyful. I can Not only be patient and persevere, but I can be joyful throughout a miserable situation. Miserable Christians is an oxymoron to me. I think it's what scripture says. It can't be. Uh, it, it, It can't be. I can't be miserable and claim to be a Christian because the Bible says I should be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's part of who I am. The reason is what I have access to. I shouldn't be miserable because God is there and can give me patience and perseverance and power and insight in what I need and joy. So I can't be miserable. Now temporarily I may question, the situation may hit me and I may be shocked for just a moment, but then I need to step back and go, wait a second, I have everything in Christ. I can make this. I can do this. This is doable. We can face this. And that's what they were dealing with, that they needed to come to the awareness that they could plug into the power of God and get what they needed for their daily living. And isn't that what we all need? Daily living in Christ. Life is hard, right? I mean, it's hard to live difficulties meet us constantly and whatever your issue is today there'll be another issue tomorrow and that what God said sufficient is evil for today you know let tomorrow take care of itself because there's going to be something else let's worry about today but as I worry about today I worry with a different worry than the world does because in Christ I have everything I have access so furthermore I think Paul celebrates the fact that the father as he said there in that verse had qualified them he qualified them to receive the inheritance that awaits. There was a stamp of approval from God on us that we get it now. We don't have to wait. Um, uh, I did a number of wills over the years. And as I did those wills, I worked with people, and we did wills and trusts and, and uh I would sit with families and and they would divide up what they were going to give to everybody, and at some point some families would share with the people I'd encourage them to do. I didn't want them to have their families have surprise and get angry at us because we helped them to to draft the document. Um, and share with your your family what's going to happen. They need to know. They need to be ready. They had it, but they had not been qualified yet. It was on the document. They were told they were going to receive it, but they could not receive it until that person passed on, could they? But Jesus has already passed on, hasn't he? And risen again. And so we are qualified in him to receive our inheritance. It is ours now. We do not have to wait for something in the future to happen. It's already happened And so we were delivered from the power of the darkness, he says, and been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So we are now moved, got everything we need. We can move forward. And it's not a pie in the sky when I die, but it's a present reality for everyone who names Jesus as Lord. If you trust in him, you have it all. Uh, That's hard to believe. I don't know if you know some of the things that some religions believed. and You know the story of Martin Luther, how that as he was kissing the steps, working his way up in this place, trying to earn his salvation in the religion in which he was a part of, he came to an awareness of faith in Christ alone through the book of Romans that he had been studying. And it was as he was doing that, he realized this is not how I get there. I don't get there through my own power. I don't get there through my own works. I get there through faith in Christ alone. But in that faith, I have access to everything that I need. I don't have to earn it. Many religions make you pay for what you get, and then you still don't know until the end if you're going to get it. But that's not true in, in Christianity. We've been told already, he prepares a place for us. I go to what? Prepare a place for you. Is that in question? I go to maybe prepare a place for you. If you're good enough, I'll prepare a place for you. If you work hard enough, I'll prepare a place for you. That's not what it says. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I know that. And that gives me the the ability to celebrate, I think, as the Apostle Paul tries to do. So there's an evidence of an un- underlying drift away from the gospel that he's talking about in this epistle. And it is Paul's answer to that perception that they are moving away from what they should know. Um, Paul laid so much emphasis on the deliverance which Jesus wrought on our behalf in Colossians 1.13, and Colossians 2.15, and on the fullness of what he accomplished in Colossians 2.10. Matter of fact, let's look at that. Look at Colossians 2:10 for just a minute. Uh, And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done with hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism raised with him through your faith and power in Christ who raised him from the dead the same power that raised Christ from the dead made you worthy and gave you everything the same power that raised Christ from the dead gave you everything you need and they had drifted away from that understanding you look at that in, in 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. We don't need to have anything else added. There's no second anything. I don't need to do more. I can't do more. It's been done for me already and nothing can be taken away either. I hold them in my hand and what none can take them out. There's that right hand again of his power that, that nothing can be taken away from us. So we have to rather recognize that we already in Christ have everything that we need. And he is Lord, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. You read that whole section is right there telling us that very fact. Maybe we just need to be reminded. Because I I think like, like the Colossians, sometimes we fall back on that assumption that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or God helps those who helps themselves. Uh, sounds catchy, but it's not biblical. It's never been biblical. Doesn't mean we don't show our our honor to God by doing for Him and working for Him and living for Him, but it doesn't add to our salvation. It brings us nothing. We can't add to our salvation. So, as we talk about His prayer for the Colossians, and that's really what He's doing here, He, the Apostle Paul, has a discourse. I think that passes seamlessly from the subject of the lordship of Jesus to the sufficiency of his person, the adequacy of his work, and it gives us the grounds to sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So everything I experience now will be in fullness in heaven, but I have it here now. I have access to it. So let's look at those things. One, his lordship over creation. That's verses 15 through 17. Uh, First, it says he is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 15, the manifestation of God to man. Want to know what Jesus looks like? I see Jesus, I see God. Now, I'm not going to argue with you what complexion Jesus was. People argue all the time what Jesus looked like. Well, he, he was Jewish. Uh, I I don't, is it the picture of the blonde haired Jesus and the, I I doubt it. Uh, Is it a, a different looking Jesus than I would imagine? Probably, but it really doesn't matter because we're not talking about his appearance physically. We're talking about his spiritual appearance, how he treated people. No man taught like him. He taught with power. No man did miracles like him. Let my works, he said, prove who I am. I'm God's son. And here, look what I've done. It wasn't look at me or see how I look. It doesn't make any difference. What makes a difference is that he is the image of God by what he has done. The Bible says there that he is the firstborn of creation. The father's heir is what that means. Um, you look at that in Hebrews 1, 2, he is the heir. Uh, not indeed created himself, but possessor of that birthright. He was not created. That is that is wrong theologically. But it, the significance is being firstborn, he is the heir of all things. That's what the point is there. Sometimes we take that, that idea of being firstborn to be created, but it doesn't mean created. It means he has... The right to be called the heir. I am an only child. I'm guilty. That's what I am. I have no brothers and sisters. And my father says all the time uh, when he's joking around with family or me or whatever he says, he gets it all. You know. And, and he says that sometimes in the fact that all the problems included with whatever that is, you know, if something's broken in the house and we're talking about fixing it, and he says, well, remember, you get it all. <laughs> it's like, oh, great, you know. But with Jesus, he's the only son, the only begotten son. Jesus is an only child. Hey, I'm not in bad company. And he has it all. He's heir to all things. That's what firstborn means. And then uh, it goes on to say, He is the creator of all things. He made all things. Through Him was everything made that was made. If you look in the uh, New Testament in John 1 3, we read these words, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. As far as the telescopes can see in the universe, God made it. Every time one of the new telescopes brings up some new fabulous star system or some black hole or, or some twin spinning star or whatever it is that everybody is so excited about, I want to say, God made that. Jesus made that. You didn't discover it. He made it. You're just now getting to look at it. Nothing was made that he made didn't make. I think the world has forgotten that. We look around and claim all this stuff is ours. This is mine. I'm going to collect it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to dispose of it. I can do whatever I want to with it. Nothing in my hands did I make. Even if I take a piece of wood and form something like this, I didn't make the wood. Somebody else did. I just crafted it into something else other than it was originally made. He made all things. It goes on to say in 17, all things have their source and their sustenance in him. If you take your Bible and turn for just a minute back to John, of course, you know, John in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But go to John 1, 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The spark of life that is in you, he made. I think the world forgets that too. They they want to tell us that somehow we developed into something from something else. You know, uh, if God wanted to use evolution, I suppose he could. But the spark that makes you a soul that lasts forever, God did that. God made that. It didn't just happen. It didn't just develop. The life that is in me is in me because God put it there and He sustains it. Occasionally they'll tell us, you'll look at everything and and they'll say that um, uh, we don't know how an atom doesn't fly apart. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is the sense that holds it together. I like to think of Him like a director or a leader, I, I think like a piano teacher. I had piano lessons. Your teacher knows your skills. They see you week in and week out. They know where you are. They know if you practiced or not. I can remember that coming to the piano lesson, sitting there and playing, and the teacher would lean over. You didn't practice this week, did you? No, you know. It was obvious. I mean, it was, it was, you could tell. I hadn't done what I was supposed to do. They could see what I had done. He knows our skills, and he knows how to get us to the next level. That's who he is for us. He's a leader. He's a director. You may have to do more drills or exercises to get stronger, to get more dexterity in your hands, but because the leader is older and more experienced, they can help me to get better. Let's face it. If you trust what they tell you and you practice what they say, you will get better. And with Jesus as Lord... It is assured. He is Lord. Second, his lordship over the church, Colossians 1.18. He is, it says, head over the body, the church. You, uh, if you have your, your book in Colossians, go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 19, if you will. 2.19. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together its ligaments and sinews and grows as God causes it to grow. It is because of him, he is the head. This metaphor is echoed throughout the New Testament. You can see it over again and again. We've studied it here. You can see it in Romans. If you look at Romans chapter 12, you can see it in First Corinthians chapter 12. You can see it in Ephesians chapter one. These passages of Scripture talk about that metaphor and that idea that Jesus is the head of the church. He, he, he says in Colossians 1.15, the firstborn of all creation, also the firstborn from the dead. The resurrection that Jesus had is like none other. Now He brought back Lazarus, but Lazarus eventually died. He resuscitated Lazarus. Lazarus eventually died. Lazarus is not still around, but Jesus is. It's a different kind of resurrection, firstborn from the dead. Now, you're offered that same thing eventually in Christ, but those who were dead in their sins can be quickened, it says in Colossians 2, 13. We can be raised spiritually. I think there is a danger in Colossians uh, or Colossi from them and other things such as you read through in Colossians 2, the, the worship of angels. They had, uh, you know, did they get it because of some other religion? Is it something that was in town? We're not exactly sure. Uh, but they added that to the worship of Christ. You remember any time you see an angel, we've talked about it. They said, don't worship us. We're not worthy of worship. Only God is. Get up, stand up, you get us both in trouble. That always happens in the Bible uh, whenever it's just an angel we studied uh, a week or so ago about the theophany, which is when Christ appears to us in a way differently than we imagine him. Uh, we remember the, ki- the guys on the road to Emmaus, that they didn't see Jesus exactly as he was until he revealed himself. So he can do that. He's God, he can do what he wants to. Uh, but y- yet, those angels must worship him. You look at Hebrews chapter 1-6 uh, and Colossians 18 again, one eighteen. to him alone Belongs the word preeminence. He's the first. He takes first place and deserves all our worship, all our honor. Third, sufficiency of his person, Colossians 1.19. The Bible talks about the fullness there. Uh, the fullness of which uh, Paul speaks is not a supplement. It's not lacking, uh, such as some of the teachers in Colossae were teaching. Uh, but it is, it is a full compliment which subsists in Christ, I have everything in him. Um, I don't know if you, those of you have been in the military, you would be kitted out. You would be given everything you needed to do something. Let's say you were going to go on a, a hike or a trip. And they'd give you that, how many pounds a pack? 50, 100 pounds, depends on whatever it was. It was 80, somewhere in there. Depends on which branch you belong to. And supposedly everything you needed was in that pack for what they were going to do. It was on you. You had it. You didn't need extra. That's what he's saying here in Christ. In him all fullness was pleased to dwell literally and taking up dwelling among us. He lived with us. I think there are echoes here of, of the incarnation of, of uh, John 1:14, where he dwelt among us. we beheld his glory, his fullness, the idea that, that we saw God because he pitched tent with us, is what it says in First John. And I think it's reflected here also in Colossae. I think there are echoes of that. And, but he shifts, I think, into different concepts, it, because he shifts into a present tense in Colossians 2:9, with us, here with us. and In heaven, Colossians three one, also, here now, but there then. I've got him in fullness now, but I'll know totally, completely then one day without the limitation of being human uh, is what I have now. So there's that sufficiency. I think in in Philippians 4.13, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I get what I need, all of what I need, not because of myself, but because of Jesus. It's not my strength, but his. We know that God created the universe, lives in us, he equips us, he empowers us. He anoints us, the Bible says, so that we can shoulder whatever the world throws us and move on. Uh, The illustration is told that one night while conducting an evangelistic meeting in the Salvation Army Citadel in Chicago, Booth Tucker preached on the sympathy of Christ. After the message was over with, a man came to him and said, if your wife had died and your children were crying to you every night, you wouldn't be saying that. You'd never come back here and say that. You couldn't say that. You don't know. Tragically, a few days later, Tucker's wife was killed in a train wreck. Her body was brought to Chicago, and he carried uh, her to the Citadel for the funeral. Same place he had preached, the Sympathy of Christ. After the service was over with, he looked down into the silent face of his family and those who were attending. And he said this, the other day, a man told me I would never speak of the sympathy of Christ if my wife had just died. If that man is here, I want to tell him, Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken, but it has a song put there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Jesus speaks comfort to me today. Sufficient. Enough. We have enough in Christ to meet any situation. Number four and last, the adequacy of his work, Colossians 1.20. The Bible says that we have been given... A part of we're, we're fallen in creation, but we have been given peace now through Jesus. We have peace with Him. Romans five one says that, and it could and it could only be accomplished. The Bible says through His blood, through the shedding of His blood. Colossians one twenty, He wrought all reconciliation. How much all, not part, not part and parcel. The Hebrews came once a year and they spread blood, and they made forgiveness for one year and they came back and did the same thing next year if they sinned in between and had some mistakes they came and they brought certain offerings in to make up for those things that they had done you and i as you know jesus once he offered sat down at the right hand of the father to never make sacrifice again sufficient complete all adequate for what we have to do So what does that mean for us now? I saw this illustration. I thought it fit. During World War II, a church building in Strasbourg was destroyed. After the bombing, the members came and tried to pick up and survey the area and see what was done. And they had a statue that had been there of Christ holding his hands out like this. And they saw the statue was still there, and they rejoiced. But when they got close to the statue, they noticed that a beam had fallen and sheared off the hands of the Christ statue. Hit it just right, didn't break the arms, didn't break anything else, just sheared off the hands. And so they went back to the artist, and he looked at it, and he said, I I think I can fix the hands. Uh, I can do something about it. So he, he sought to try to help them to do that as a gift to the church and because of what had happened during the World War. But by the time that the artist got there to do that, remember this is in the end of World War II, and so there's a lot going on, rebuilding, and by the time he got there to be able to deal with it, the church said to him, actually, we don't want you to do anything. They had had long enough to see the statue And they realized that the damage done to Christ actually symbolized the power of the teaching of the Scripture. They were called to serve Him with all their hearts, and they were Christ's hands in the world. I have everything I need to deal with everything in the world, and I am Christ's hands reaching other people. In this world, the statue had taught them that the work of Christ continues in us in all fullness. It's not inhibited in any way. Nothing stops it. I don't have to find extra. I have all that I need in Christ. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you for the fullness in Christ. We thank you that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of all. And because he is Lord of all, that means certain things to us. We've read in Colossae, help us to not be distracted like the Colossians were and to think that our problems are too big or that we need to turn to other things to fulfill it. We don't need angels. We don't need special insight. We have everything we need in Jesus right now. Teach us that. Open our eyes to that. And may we be the hands that lead others to that awareness of the fullness that is in Jesus. We pray in his holy name, amen. God bless you. So, prayer requests.